0: that's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: This is FacePalm America. I'm Bale Wolf Rocklin. Uh, FacePalmAmerica.com is the place where you can find out more information on the show. And as I have said before, um, I'm a person who uh, goes into grocery stores. And I'm very particular about, you know, price, kind of like origin of... The, the food, uh, you know, whether I can get a good value, is is this something that's um, organic? You know, I'll, I'll I'll look and see as far as like organic stuff goes, you know, because I will buy organic uh, stuff, but not just universally. I got it, it's got to be a, a good value, and I there's a certain amount that I will pay additionally for organic, but but not like too much more. So I try to balance it with like what's practical. Um, and I also look at things like, like fair trade and, and buy that whenever I can because I, I, I know or at least I think that's a, a good way to go with things. And so these kinds of thoughts uh, float around in my mind. And uh, I saw the title of a book that, uh, that came my way recently, Avocado Anxiety and Other Stories About Where Your Food Comes From. And I thought to myself, this this is something that I have to delve into a little bit more deeply. And so uh, we're privileged today to be able to speak to Louise Gray. She is the author of Avocado Anxiety. Louise, welcome to FacePalm America. Thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
1: So when you see a fair trade label on, on something, for example, um, and I noticed, goodness, along with everything else it's gotten a lot more expensive and I don't go for it uh, every time. What does that really mean? I mean, first of all, is it a universal standard both in in the U S and the UK?
2: Yes, it is. I mean, fair trade, I think is one I do actually look out for and go for Mm -hmm. because I don't know whether you've noticed it, but at least fair trade is um, fairly well established Mm -hmm. and, Every banana has got a different label on it right now. So it's got, you know, sustainably sourced according to right. Walmart or Trader Joe's or or Sainsbury's, you know, UK supermarket right. or whatever. And I never really trust those ones. So fair trade isn't perfect, but um, it was the first um, system for, you know, labelling fair trade um Foods, and I think I think it's a good one. And I think with bananas in particular, given their dark history and all the issues with um, human rights and bananas, and even avocados now, not many fair trade avocados. It is something I look out for.
1: Well, let's I mean, let's talk about that uh, a little bit because I I am vaguely aware that uh, especially as U.S. fruit companies have dealt with uh, farmers in in Central. And South America, as regards, uh, you know, produce of, of various kinds, that our our dealings have not been good, and that in fact, um, certain you know military invasions have been predicated on uh, assuring access uh, to uh, those resources at at uh, a favorable uh, price to to us. What is some of the background of of how we have? Uh, you know, dealt ar- around the banana issue in particular, or or avocados, or, or both, uh, depending on your preference.
2: Well, if you start with bananas, because there's such a, a long history with American bananas, and um, really at the turn of the 20th century, bananas were the first fruit that was really commoditized because um, America was as was in Central and South America. Um, and as we all know, you know, we were chopping down rainforests, yeah. and um, um, you know, um, how's a polite way to do this? Um, oh, not we, working. Need to be government. polite, I mean, you know.
1: We we have no FCC regulations <laughs> here, so
2: no, no. Okay, so taking over governments, uh-huh. <laughs> um, or you know, there were military interventions. Yeah. Um, famously, uh, you know, Gabriel Garcia Marquez's book, A Hundred Years of Solitude he has a fictionalized account of what happened in banana farms um people were shot you know and um and and uh, labor was very cheap and that allowed this fruit to be uh grown very cheaply on scale and then they found um a variety of banana that ripened um dependably in 7 days they found a way of um shipping it in bulk and suddenly bananas are cheaper than apples and oranges and more popular in America which when you think about it it's pretty extraordinary when there's an apple orchard in every you know farm but it's bananas that we're eating and we did that through that mass commodification but it had consequences for humans and for the environment and it's not so bad now but there's still a problem certainly environmentally with how we farm bananas and we're suffering for it because there's disease in bananas so we do need to change how we farm them and then it and with um human rights some people would argue that's still that's still a problem but things like fair trade i think um means it is possible to buy bananas where people are treated better Mm -hmm. and then avocados is something much more recent right like i guess um Many people listening will remember when avocados weren't really a thing, mm-hmm. and and with this, they very cleverly positioned themselves as a snack during the Super Bowl. Everyone, <laughs> right. has, um, yeah, and that was very clever. And it since then it's taken off. It's been a huge increase, and most of those avocados are coming from Mexico. Mm-hmm. And in Mexico, when something's making money, then organised crime moves in. You know, like, right. and so and poor old avocado farmers have been, you know, kidnapped and abused for the money they're making. And that's where the sort of term blood avocados comes from and, you know, right. documentaries on Netflix about that issue. But I think that that's not a reason to boycott avocados because actually a lot of people in Mexico make money out of, um, have a living from avocados. It's a reason to try and work with the government to to make it a um, a safer right. and more supply and, chain.
1: And, and that's always kind of... What one debates in one's head, isn't it? like whether whether to completely shut off something because because there is a certain amount of harm that uh, takes place, or whether boycotting a product would in fact create more harm and, and, yeah. and, and it's not, not just applies to avocados but a number of other things.
2: Sure. And then that's where the title of the book comes from, Avocado Anxiety, because, you know, you mentioned walking into the supermarket, and I think you're probably quite a sensible person, but you're not immune to the feeling of panic sure. when you look sure. look at your fruit and veg and think, well, you know, I don't want to be causing harm here, but, you know, I'm pretty hungry and this is what I like. But where does it come from? Oh, God, this yeah. is a label I don't understand. So that's where the title comes from, that anxiety we feel about trying to do the right thing. And food is such um an emotional and um, important part of our lives. You know, it feels even more important, doesn't it? Especially when you're feeding your children to make them work, to do the right thing. And um, I've written a whole book and I'm sorry. <laughs> I do not have <laughs> answers for all of them. No. Like, I, a long time, I really tried. I really did. But I don't think that's a reason not to write the book. It's a reason to, like, tell the stories so we can start to do better. Because the food system's so complex and we could be doing so much better. It, but we do need to wage with it.
1: Yeah, and certainly we have uh, access in the places, uh, well, that do have access, provided you're not in you know, a, a food desert, so to speak, uh, to uh, a quality of, of food that, is, that previous eras just just would not have uh, seen. And, and we have to remember that we're pretty privileged in that regard, but also keep in mind that even those privileged places are Subject to, uh, <laughs> you know, price, price gouging and that you can't always, uh, you know, get, uh, uh, you know, what you want even, even in, in those places. Um, and I, I suppose the overall arc of what should be done is, you know, try to make the system better, try to eliminate those food deserts, make sure that, that people can uh have ha- have access to things and make sure that the people that produce the food are, are treated well and, and fairly. And that's not just a uh you know an international thing it, from Central to South America. It's it takes place within the United States. And um you know I was I was just I think it was John Oliver that I was uh watching the other week and he was talking about uh, and I'd known this, but specifically how, from the Fair Labor Standards Act in the 1930s, uh, workers in the agricultural industry were specifically excluded from uh, a lot of labor standards and, and minimum wage uh, laws. So there's a tradition, even in this, uh, even in this country, of uh, people who are uh, you know treated very differently and much more poorly who uh, who. Pick the food and and uh, and are responsible for it, and without whom there there would not be food on our
2: table yeah, and I think um I think that's been highlighted in tomato workers in California hasn't right. it in the u s and yeah. it's the same in Europe again, tomatoes in Spain with workers from Africa mm. so i I kind of feel like to get to the beginning of your question there you know we 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 are privileged and this book is not saying stop eating fruit and veg because we definitely need to be eating more because yeah we probably need to eat less meat because of um uh the greenhouse gases um produced by by more livestock and it's healthy and it's good to have a diverse agricultural system so for all sorts of reasons we, sh- we should be eating more fruit and veg but we do need to be thinking where it comes from. And for me, I'm a farmer's daughter. And, um, you know, my grandfather was part of that productionist model post-Second World War, where we were just trying to produce as much food as possible. And I think we're all grateful for that, you know. Like, it's amazing we can get bananas and avocados in, you know, in Scotland. You know, I live in a cold country, where yeah. so that's impossible possible to grow it. But I think we're at the situation now where... Um, We've come this far and and the real issues we're looking at are obesity right. and 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 the environmental impact of our food. It's not the amount of our food. We have enough now. So let's think about uh the food system and getting it right. Um a, 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 um a new word in the UK, we we use it in the US is food swamps. So food deserts refers to places, you know, where there's just fast food and right. there's food there, but not good food. But really, they're saying it's more like a food swamp, you know, like you can get burgers and chips, but you can't right. get good food. And that's an issue, isn't it? So, yeah, so a lot lot in that answer. But essentially, I'm just saying, you know, um, I think I agree with you. And not many people say this. So thanks for saying it. You know, we are lucky and it's great. But I think in this position of privilege, we're able to ask questions now.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And we should be asking questions. And. Um, and, and thinking about the, the systems that are just kind of in the background um, that don't necessarily come to prominence when we walk in and we just get something and it's there. Uh, we need to ask how it got there, and, and I think that's important. With the Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. plus let's talk about protein for a moment and specifically oh, yeah. uh plant protein um i i think that's important and I, I think overall personally my trajectory has been i eat less meat than i did uh 10 or 15 years ago however i also have planted in the back of my mind and and maybe it's just because you know i i i, I have absorbed some of the uh, reactionary uh, conservative uh, talking points at some point, or maybe there 's something you know a, a kernel of truth to it that like around tofu specifically like that um, it increases estrogen levels and somehow it 's like less <laughs> less masculine <laughs> than it should be a, a, as a food i don 't know whether that 's just c- kind of been used as as a talking point by the meat industry, whether there 's something to uh, that but it 's certainly another point of uh, of uh anxiety uh, around food and you know I, I eat tofu i you know i i've increased the amount of uh, you know beans and, and and hummus that i that that i eat but uh there there's still these kind of lingering concerns and even if they're not around any particular scientific point they're they're around well uh, you know somehow culturally Meat is a is a thing that uh, that we have to uh, ingest that distinguishes us from uh, from people who just you know don't have as strong a diet, and it's I think especially in America, and, and and I'm sure to an extent in the UK as well, very culturally encoded. How do we get around that and get to what really is nutritionally good for us?
2: I I think you've answered the question in that you saying that you as someone who eats meat right you enjoy it and you're aware of meat as something that as an American man you know you would expect but you are now eating um a little bit more tofu a little bit more hummus but you're still enjoying steak right but you are doing that and I don't think your dad would have right
1: Right. Correct. You know,
2: it, it <laughs> I can, yeah, it I can think
1: of the salads that my, that my dad ate when I was yeah. growing up and they were these very small salads with a lot of iceberg yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, lettuce alongside, you know, uh, an, an awful lot of meat. He's, he is still with us today. And I think that is yeah, a function well, of, uh, of genetics more than diet.
2: Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it just interests me because I think that I am somebody who wants to take people with me, and I think it is happening gradually. So, And I don't think you can... Food is such a personal thing. You can't force people. But in my first book, The Ethical Carnival, mm-hmm. which listeners might be interested in, I only ate animals I killed myself for two mm-hmm. years. Wow. And so I kind of went out there and learnt what it is to kill an animal and what a privilege it is to eat meat. And it made me want to eat less because meat is special and we should take time and care over it right and also environmentally and i feel like you know five years later that argument has trickled down to people which is why i'm now looking at fruit and veg Mm -hmm. and plant protein um but i guess i'm on the um i'm on the less extreme side there are definitely environmentalists who think it's not happening fast enough but i think that there are ways to farm which are you know um less environmentally damaging with livestock and it yeah. depends on where you live so i feel like um i think you've got to take people with you so i i have a recipe in the book for fava bean hummus you know in a way oh, cool. to encourage people. yeah yeah ways to encourage people to eat more plant protein because i think we should you know it's a really easy thing you can do for the environment but i just don't think you can force people to change their eating habits you've got to take them with you by um by suggesting delicious food and pulses and beans are one of the best things you can eat and i know in america that is that's a government health policy like you're trying to push it yeah. so so um it, it 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 does make sense for our environment you know because beans don't need so much fertilizer they have they don't produce yeah. so much greenhouse gases so you know of all the things we're looking at to try and stop catastrophic climate change, it, it seems like a fairly easy thing to do.
1: Yeah, it does, and uh, and I, I have found out over the course of, of the years, you know, after you know, as a younger person, probably being much more, uh, you know, resistant to it, that uh, that really there is is an incredible diversity of wonderful uh, flavors around, uh, you know, non meat protein. Mm. I mean, there, there, there's really some delicious stuff. It, it really so much of it is the cultural structure that we have in our heads that we have inherited or uh, or absorbed ambiently that says these are the things that you're supposed to eat. I mean, goodness, I remember in the early 1980s, uh, you know, I was given, I think it was in in, in first or, or second grade, um, a, a a set of you know booklets uh, that was part of our our educational uh, unit around the uh, around the certainly it was based on the four food groups and uh which which incredibly you know bias like has it has a meat group and a dairy group separately and that's basically half of what you're supposed to eat and i remember the pictures of the these things and even looking back on that this was supposed to be supposed to be a healthy uh you know thing for for kids um how, in retrospect, that seems so just overloaded with like a a bunch of like, like way too much animal protein, and yet that's what we have in the back of our heads because this these are the structures that have been created. I'm sure that that both industry and and government together put together those the, those pamphlets that that I read as you know a uh, as a as a seven or eight year old, and uh, and and we have to create structures. You know, in 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 Europe and in in the United States and around the the world, that emphasizes that that isn't the way that has to be, and it and it shouldn't be at the behest of particular industries that that have an outsized uh, influence on what gets uh, to school children, For goodness' sakes,
2: yeah, but I think it is tricky because. Um... Governments do try to do that, and the UN is trying to do that at the moment. Like, mm. But they are very cautious because um, it can cause a big backlash, you know. And sometimes that backlash is, is uh, the livestock industry, you know, like yeah. um, using people to um, prevent change, which doesn't benefit them. Um, but sometimes I think it is because there might be cultural associations with certain foods that people feel threatened by so yeah. i think you do have to be um careful on that and i kind of think as an individual that they, they change they do change their minds there's a really interesting the lancet you know the right. big medical um newspaper has actually published um uh what we should be eating eat well and it does say less dairy and less meat so mm-hmm. and that but that's controversial in many areas but I think as an individual, that's why I've tried to make, make my books stories because I think food is your own story. You know, it's like yeah. what your you want to it's what your grandmother ate and what your mother taught you and what brings your friends together. You you have to follow that instinct whilst also bringing in what you know to be environmentally better where you live. You know, <laughs> if right. you live right. live in a place with grass, then maybe eating some lamb occasionally. is a good thing yeah so yeah i think i think i think um as individuals we have to take a bit of responsibility and not wait for the government pamphlets
1: (laughs) right no no you're right and i you know i i live in oregon and i used to Mm -hmm. live in a house in front of which there was a a hazelnut tree and we would you know gather those up and eat you know roast them and and eat them and Ah. that was love and we lived um uh you know uh, very close to some uh to pear orchards we actually live kind of in i wouldn't call it rural necessary but it's a pretty small area and one of the big uh companies around here is harry and david and their big product is pears they'll often send out pears around christmas uh, through mail order and it's um and it's 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 wonderful like seeing that around here and knowing what your local agricultural uh products are um and
2: yeah a big point in the book was about food miles and concern about yes. food miles, like bananas and things and bananas come a long way it doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily a huge carbon footprint so i don't think people should beat themselves up about um you know occasionally eat avocado the footprint of avocados and bananas maybe you know air freight beans from kenya you know but i do think there is something wonderful about food on your doorstep like the pears that you spoke about i can yeah. just imagine it already like the joy that you're getting from that you know the flavor the connection oh, yeah. to the seasons the connection to the farmer and i just feel like that's something that should really be protected and celebrated um yeah. for the diversity for the environmental for the cultural things it brings us and you know if we don't protect it we'll lose it
1: absolutely and i i love you know I, I used to i used to drive my my uh, daughter to school through the uh, through the pear orchards and you know locally here we have the the, the pear blossom festival in the in the rogue valley oh in, yeah in, i'm in imagining
2: all that it sounds glorious
1: <laughs> yeah it, 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 you know it, it, it is and i i, I grew up in the, the san francisco bay area which is kind of a, a a more urbanized place although although very beautiful but but i it was uh, it, it's it, it, it's interesting because even to this day, like you know, probably about you know a couple hundred yards uh, away, you know, like just a few houses away, there's the the the, the train that uh, that that goes by, and I know some agricultural products are are transported in that, and then we have the orchards, and and it's it, it's a very different environment to to live in, but it's it's one that uh, one that I appreciate a lot, and it's it's interesting to know too that that and if you think about it you know bananas that you know they're often coming mostly by by boat and 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 by train you're right like you know air flights you know that's <laughs> that does have an enormous uh uh you know impact uh, I- I- environmentally but that's that's not mostly uh what we're what we're talking about and probably and while it's great to celebrate local food you know it's also great to have uh to be able to have a supplement to your diet at various times of the year provided that the the people who are engaged in providing you with that uh food are are treated uh well it, it I, you know it, it's it's something i think we uh shouldn't worry all the time i agree with you uh w- whether we avail ourselves of that because i think we should
2: yeah yeah absolutely and and you know, you, it can change through your lifetime, mm-hmm. and I'm, and I think it's changing a lot right now because of the climate crisis and people asking questions. So it's a really good time to, 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 to bring up these conversations, you know, and to have a debate. And to, um, th- through my book, I've tried to find, to find the stories and the answers that might prove useful to people when they're making, when they're in the supermarket, feeling that anxiety.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, you you have relieved some of mine. Uh, my, oh, thank
2: my, goodness, my, no one else says that. Everyone else says, oh, Louise, you ruined my bananas at breakfast and my avocados <laughs> at lunch. And I'm like, I'm trying to help. No, no,
1: I, I, I truly think that, look, there's a lot to worry about for, for, for certain. And I guess of I, I've kind of, kind of been aware of that. But at a certain point, you have to just kind of breathe and say, okay, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to do the best I, I can. And really, as an, as an individual, you can, you can only do so much. I, I think the best thing we can do is work to, to change the structures and improve the systems that we have for getting uh, us food and, and not get too caught up in taking on the burden of everything personally because
2: absolutely that's be, 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 so be, important to say yeah
1: and, and you know that applies yeah. to you know other environmental things also i mean look i mean you gotta you gotta get to your your job and and sometimes uh you know uh, drive a car certainly in in the rural united states it's 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 something that <laughs> public transportation uh doesn't do that well unfortunately and when it comes to food um look you gotta eat and you should you should you should do what you can, but not uh, kill yourself over it. And uh, organize and 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 uh, be an activist where you have the opportunity to create better systems. Because really, that is ultimately what gets us to a better place. Working collectively to develop a better system—that's where we can make the real change. I think.
2: Yeah, and it's so important to say that. I think because you know, like my 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 book and is, is about you as an individual and what you can do because that's all I have power over uh-huh. but I think it's really important in the food argument that we do understand that it's systemic and like the, the obesity problems are really important example of that like we, we haven't all suddenly lost our willpower in the last 50 years you know something's right. happened in the food <laughs> environment that's made people fatter it's made it difficult right. you know and the, the the people there are there are, the the, the <laughs> let's just say it there are some people who've made lots of money out of some systems which have caused yes. that yes and the only way and that's not about individuals that, that like someone at government policy has got to say you know there shouldn't be that much sugar or kids shouldn't be exposed to that or you know people should have availability of good food um, so I think it's the two things you know buy your fair trade bananas but also like we need to like you just said try and get our policy makers and our governments to do something too
1: yeah I think that's really important so um, I think truly for me you have reduced my anxiety when it comes good. to my day-to-day choices uh so anxiety <laughs> i'm going to reserve that for for other things there's enough of it to I- engage in avocado then, anxiety i'm i'm i'm, uh, I'm that that doesn't uh, worry me too much
2: <laughs> good and um are the pears are the, it's a pear blossom out at the moment
1: uh well it's starting to now we've had a rather cold uh winter and uh the 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 fans in the orchards have been uh going a lot because we've had a lot of cold mornings and that uh focuses the warmer air towards the 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 pears but we are starting to see a lot of blo- i know like their are cherry blossoms in uh in my backyard right now i don't think we've quite seen the pears yet but it's coming soon
2: sounds beautiful i hope to see it one day
1: Yes, yes. Well, uh, we'll we, if you ever get to this neck of the woods, we will uh, arrange a tour because it's it's lovely. You know, we take a walk and and we see uh, at the right time of year the the all the rows of uh, pear trees uh, in bloom and it's uh, it's really quite something. So, yeah. you should you should come if you if you get a chance.
2: <laughs> One day.
1: <laughs> One day. Avocado anxiety and other stories about where your food comes from. We've been talking to Louise Gray, Louise. Thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Thanks, Beowulf. I'm Beowulf Rockland. This is Face Palm America. Enjoy the day.